WQHT HD1 New York. This is a special coronavirus edition of Street Soldiers, hosted by Lisa Evers on Hot 97. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, New York. Good morning, United States. Good morning to everyone around the world listening to us on Street Soldiers, on our live stream, on Hot97.com, and also the uh, free Hot 97 app. I am glad you're joining me for the special two-hour live episode. Hopefully, we'll be able to move the conversation forward, move the movement forward, and just raise awareness and try to all come together here. It's a special live two-hour episode of Street Soldiers on the aftermath of the George Floyd tragedy, which now seems so far away because all anybody's talking about are the protests, the looting, the violence. But the real issue we want to focus on is the question when will black lives really matter? We're talking about police excessive force. We're talking about health equity issues like we're seeing. Remember, we're still in the middle of this coronavirus pandemic. We're talking about daily microaggressions against people of color that happen every single day. And to the whites, well-meaning whites who grow up in mostly white neighborhoods, go to white schools, have white friends, you need to listen to what black Americans are saying, period. That's the first step. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. You can find me and follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And uh, we're going to be live on Instagram at Lisa Evers in just a moment. Now, it has been almost a week since Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin pressed his knee on the neck of 46-year-old George Floyd for eight minutes and 46 seconds nearly nine minutes, including two minutes and 53 seconds after Floyd was unresponsive. He was handcuffed behind his back, lying in the street, surrounded by police officers, his body pressed up against a police car. There's no way, no how, no scenario where that man could have gotten up and run away at that particular point. Despite the entire deeply disturbing incident caught on camera that we all saw that was so heartbreaking and so traumatic, it wasn't enough to equalize the justice system. A preliminary autopsy, I'm going to put autopsy in air quotes, attributed Floyd's death to pre-existing health conditions, outraging many people and raising the question once again, can the system be trusted in any way, especially when it comes to people of color? Chauvin and the three officers with him were fired the next day. Um, he's been charged with third degree murder. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in the show. But many are saying that's simply not enough. What about the three other cops? Minneapolis burned. Uh, New York has burned. Cities across the country have been burning, burning, burning. And, uh, you know, we want to keep the focus on him, on what happened to him and, you know, what the, the questions that this issue is raising. Elected leaders in Minnesota, here in New York and elsewhere, have complained that outside agitators, anarchists, lit the fuse that then exploded into chaos in so many places as we've been seeing increasingly every single night. Once a fire starts, it's impossible to know where it's going to spread. And I want to also mention, too, there have been tens of thousands of protesters who've been out there peacefully with a purpose. So you and you can tell them because they have the signs. R.I.P. George Floyd, justice for George Floyd, Black Lives Matter. They have signs. People who have signs are not looting. They're there to protest. They're there to express themselves, as is their First Amendment right under the United States uh, uh, Constitution. But now the controversy over these protests, street disturbances, arson, looting, and violence, I think is starting to overshadow at times the fact that in the most fundamental way, 
This is what the focus should be. In the most fundamental way, there are still two systems of justice in America, one for whites and one for blacks and other people of color. This upheaval and outrage isn't just about George Floyd, what we're seeing happening. It's about so many black men and women before him, unarmed, dying at the hands of most often, but not always, white police officers. And let me drop this on you. The U.S. Justice Department even though they keep track of all sorts of things, there is no uh, national tally of the number of black men who die in police custody. So if it happens someplace where there's not a big media market or where there are people that are extremely oppressed or don't have access or are economically or geographically disadvantaged, who knows what goes on? For sure, there are many good police officers out there. I want to salute them, the ones that are trying to do the job the right way. But and they are they are outraged by what they're seeing. They're outraged by these cases. They're outraged by the violation of the oath they took to protect and serve the public. But the main much larger point is that the majority of America, which is about 72 percent white, does not understand the daily trauma that black men in particular experience. Never knowing when unjust enforcement can occur, when an ordinary encounter can turn into the last moments of their lives. No matter how much a black man achieves, no matter how many degrees and how much worldly success he accomplishes, no matter how much he contributes to society, no matter how he carries himself, no matter how peaceful and law-abiding, that threat is always there, that he will be judged by the color of his skin and demonized in some way, even if he's just watching birds in Central Park, or die in police custody during a routine arrest on a minor infraction. There is no amount of playing by the rules and following the law that exempts them from this gnawing fear and the very real possibility that those who have the law on their side will use it against them unjustly. If we are to truly achieve that still unattained goal set by Dr. King in America where people are judged by the content of their character and not the color of their skin, white Americans who are aware of the systemic inequality need to stand up and speak out. This is a human rights issue and either you're for human rights for every single human being or you're not. It's that simple in my opinion. And the line is drawn. Over the next two hours, we're going to break down some of the key elements in this case, as well as take a look at what's ahead. My question for you, after everything we saw last night, stores being looted here in New York, uh, fire set, buildings burn, a lot of police, a lot of aggressive police action against protesters as well. Are there different categories of protesters? Does everyone bear the responsibility for it? Is this kind of violence justified when we're fighting back against oppression? Also, when we've been in an, a tremendous economic slump, we're still in the middle of a pandemic, and all those businesses that have been burned, none of those people will be able to go to their, to their jobs or go to work tomorrow and be able to pay those bills. Give us a call at 1-800-223-9797. That's 1-800-223-9797. Joining me in studio is Dr. Emmanuel, Dr. Manny Fambu. He's a physician and surgeon with an MBA and also author of the best-selling book, The Future of Healthcare. And Dr. Fambu, Dr. Manny, tell us why you feel that this oppression has reached such a big boiling point. Lisa, it's it's a very emotional morning, and I think uh, these things have been going on for a very long time, right? So everything you said in the opening um, is true. Myself, even going uh, you know through college, I'm in America, living in Washington D.C., uh, just driving from my mom's house uh, back to school while I live in the dorms. I've had guns pulled on my head by the police for absolutely no reason. 
right? Um, I remember going to uh, Six Flags down in Baltimore in the afternoon, and we had some white friends with us. We just came out to grab some food, and the cops showed up, and we were all on the floor with guns to our heads, right? This is absolutely nothing, right? So we didn't do anything. It was just a typical day. Um, even now, even as a physician, and, in, you know, I just going around, it's completely different, um, just the way you feel about certain things, right? Um, Any time a cop pulls me over, I'm worried, <laughs> right, even though I'm not doing anything, right? So you feel like you're living in, in a society where you have to be defensive on how you, how you exist and how you do things, and that should not be the case. And then do those pressures, does that trauma that you describe that is the reality for pretty much every black man in America, and to, and to some extent women, but especially for men, especially men who have darker complexions, especially men who are, seem, it seems, there seems to be a pattern with a lot of these things. Does that take a toll physically? Does that have actual physical health effects to have that, that, I don't know, just that pressure every single day? I think, Lisa, this, this, this issue goes beyond the police, right? I think it's a system of uh, systematic uh, uh, racism, not just coming from, um, you know, it's, it's not. It's beyond a white and black issue, um, right? When you have a system in, in place, for example, um, and I'll give you an example from, from the health side. It's different when you when you see someone, for example, you know, get a leg or get shot, right? And we have this protest and we complain about it. But on a daily basis, we have tons and tons, thousands of of uh, African Americans and Latinos dying um, from silent killers that no one talks about. Right. So if you could see something like this, where we all watched the video of George having a knee on his neck and he dies and the autopsy results will blame it on secondary health conditions. Right. I, uh, which, yeah. To say, oh, you have atherosclerosis. And I'll give you some some key numbers here. Right. The death rate for African-Americans, um, I, I'll say over the last uh, you know 10 years has decreased overall. Right. But if you look at African-Americans um, between the ages of 18 and 49, they are two times as likely to die from heart disease than whites. Wow. African-Americans uh, between the ages of 35 and 64 are 50% more likely to have high blood pressure than whites. Okay, so just put these numbers in, in, in general here. These things have been existing. We know this. This is on the CDC's own website. These are numbers from the CDC, right, that we know. Right. And so if you go back in that society, you look at diabetes, you look at hypertension, if we look at the COVID-19 crisis that we are in right now, and we've been talking about for the last several weeks, what the majority of people dying? People within those same communities that are being affected, right? The people that are same frontline workers that are being affected, who are losing their jobs, who are minimum wage, uh, who can afford to actually stay away from this. So you, you had, you, so you have a system that discriminates against people. And no one talks about that. So I think it's a much bigger issue. We need to change the system and actually make change about this. How do you, how do you deal with that? with yourself. You're a successful physician. You travel all around the world. You're very esteemed in your profession. You have tr a, a whole bunch of degrees, too many for me to read in the introduction every week. It's like, how do you, how do you deal with that? Like after something like that happens, how do you deal with it mentally? So you're not just going like, you know, WTF. I mean, what's the point? That's why um, we've been doing this show together, right? right? It's been a point of saying, how do we educate our communities? Right. Um, I think uh, what you're doing with the show is fantastic. Thank you. Uh, and so I, I think being able to come here and push for the idea of we need to think about ourselves better. We need to have more self-worth, right? If we think it's okay for us communities and young people to have diabetes and be dying every day, have no access to health care, um, have no idea to be proactive about health care. If you don't care about yourself, no one will care about you. Right. And so if you are busy um, being sick at a very young age, then you can't 
uh, get the right job or get education and, and get yourself to the next level. So we need to educate the community, empower them to get to the next uh, level of society where you respect yourself and people respect you. Absolutely. Okay, I'm going to open up, uh, open up the phone lines, 1-800-223-9797, 1-800-223-9797. This is our live Street Soldiers 2-hour State of Emergency Street Soldiers Sound Off episode. Give us a call. What do you think about all the protests going on? Have people lost sight of what the real issue is here? Let me know what you think 1-800-223-9797 check us out on instagram at lisa evers and uh also on the live stream on hot97.com and the hot 97 app dr manny the when you heard about the autopsy first of all maybe you can help us understand they have this preliminary autopsy which is basically what do they they look at him and they go he's got a gunshot wound i mean what does a preliminary autopsy really mean like what they what they said they did on george floyd this week correct so um in general, when uh, someone dies for whatever reason, so the medical examiner has to literally go in and and check to see what happens, right? So there's something called a wide incision that's usually done. So there, you cut and you look at the different organs in the body, right? So in this particular case, uh, because we saw the officer, you know, step in on his neck and he dies, so you probably look at signs of strangulation, <laughs> right? So you probably get inflammation, redness around the neck, uh, typical things that you might find. But in this particular case, it was an IQ thing, right? So he knelt on his neck. So there are many reasons why you could die, right? You could, uh, if, you, if you are claustrophobic, for example, and you, you have anxiety, that could trigger you to have a heart attack or something else, right? So you might die from a secondary health condition. It doesn't mean you must die because someone uh, ch- choked your neck. Right. So there are many reasons why. The same argument is silly to me. It's irrelevant uh, because it's the same thing as, you know, Sean showed up with a gun and then uh, robbing someone and shooting them and then said, oh, well, they were elderly, so they died because they were old. If they were younger, they might have survived, right? It's a completely relevant debate. We all saw what happened. He wasn't walking down the street and had a heart attack, right? He was held down and a knee was on his neck. That's how he died. Unbelievable. So autopsy on by itself is not um, the, what concludes why you died, right? Somebody could get shot, but you could go in and find out they had diabetes and have atherosclerosis. And this numbers reflect itself. So if you look at from that argument, where we have majority of young African Americans already having pre-existing conditions, which means that same argument could be used on half the population of young people when they die. So it just doesn't make sense. And it's, it's hard for people to understand because it's like, what, the, what is it going to take? Like, how can you say that that, that that pressure on his neck had nothing to do with his death? Correct. And, and I you think, gave me the analogy. You said it's, it's like, a, like an elderly person getting shot during a bank robbery and they go, they died because they're elderly. Correct. And you make that kind of argument. That, like I mean, natural causes. Correct. Like, like natural cause, right? So, so, no, that doesn't apply. And if you look at uh, a lot of the things the protesters are saying um, around the idea, if, you, if, if a young uh, African-American or someone walk, goes, goes out and you rob a bank and you have a getaway driver outside, you both get charged for murder, right? And it's pretty common. Right. In this particular case, we saw exactly what happened. Yes. They had one officer with a knee on the neck, but other people were holding this man down. Right, exactly. <laughs> right, and he was already handcuffed; and he could not move. Right. So, so it's yes, called torture. It is torture. I mean, to watch someone die and say, "I cannot breathe." Right. Right. So it's not they were shocked that he could not breathe. You can actually literally see someone say, "I cannot breathe." Right. Right. You have first responders; they had EMT; they're trying to help, but then they refuse help. And what is actually more devastating to me is the officer standing there doing absolutely nothing and blocking everyone else from there. Right. It, this is the basic idea of just being human. Right, it just been, it's just humanity, I, I, and I think when we, dr- we get dragged into uh, uh, the black-white issue and all these different things, we get derailed about things. Right, people have different opinions. The reality is, it's humanity. It's just a basic humanity. It's a human right. It is a human right.
It's a basic Correct. human right. This is Street Soldiers, 1-800-223-9797. That's 1-800-223-9797. Uh, we are live here, our state of emergency show. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to hear from the New York City public advocate, Jumani Williams. This is Hot 97 Street Soldiers, hosted by Lisa Evers. Welcome back to Street Soldiers, everybody. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We're live streaming on Hot97.com around the world and on the free Hot97 app. So if you're listening to us on 97.1 FM here in New York City, text your family, friends, relatives, everybody interested in this issue, which should be pretty much everybody at this point, and tell them to tune in to the live stream, a very important conversation we're having here. Uh, Dr. Manny Fambu, you know Dr. Manny because he's been with us since the beginning of the pandemic, talking about his experiences having guns put to his head as he's on his going through medical school, living his life. Uh, we're talking about the autopsy with George Floyd, and now we're going to talk about what's been happening on the streets of New York with New York City public advocate Jumani Williams, who has been here for us on Hot 97 and Street Soldiers uh, throughout his career for many, many years, especially in these these times of crisis. Jumani, thank you for being with us again. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Lisa, and thank you for always uh, creating a space. We're, tr- we're trying to. Jumani, first of all, a lot of people saw the emotion and the reality that you expressed in that video talking about just this sheer and utter sense of exhaustion, especially for black men dealing with a system where every day they don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. And, you know, I I appreciate that question because anybody that starts off um, talking about what's going on and they don't start off with the question of what the community is feeling and the pain, and they go directly to some of the, uh, symptoms of expression uh, is a problem. And so we have to start off with what the trauma has been for quite some time that the community is feeling that people have been bringing up for many, many, many years and people have done nothing about it. And so everyone has known the situation that we are in uh, was going to happen at some point. And even in that speech that you spoke about, when I said I'm not okay, really speaking for all of us, generally speaking in this world going through this pandemic, and especially communities like the black community, 31 years ago, where Umi, Amy Cooper made that call, uh, Central Park Five case happened, where a woman was brutally, brutally raped, and instead of finding the person who committed that horrific act, they found five, any five black men they could, and someone took out a full-page ad saying they should be executed. That person is president of the United States today, not in spite of it, but because of it. And you put that backdrop on top of the pandemic, on top of Breonna Taylor, on top of Ahmed Aubrey, on top of George Floyd, Eric Garner, all the others. And then you begin to understand the drip, drip, drip of creating the bucket that's overflowing right now. Jumani, in terms of the expression over a hundred people arrested last night, a lot of aggressive actions by the police against protesters. We saw that there was a, a police car that just drove right through a barricade into a crowd. A lot of, a lot of complaints about that. And then, you know, police cars being torched, stores being looted. Are you concerned that this is taking away from the core issue? Well, I'm concerned that we are not putting forth the best response 
to it. I'm always concerned about our city. And so I don't want to see the city burn. I don't want to see um, police cars and, and stores looted. Uh, I equally would like to see justice. I equally would like to see the things that people are protesting about dealt with. And so we have to put forth a plan that addresses that. Um, we also have to not respond in some of the ways that I've seen. If we have a police department that can't find a way to respond without ramming into a crowd of protesters, we have an additional problem, and we have to address that problem. I have seen, and I was out three different boroughs yesterday, I have uh, seen people who are in pain and people who are angry. I do have a message, though, for some of, especially our white allies, who I'm so happy to see out there, and I've seen acts of them using their privilege to protect uh, black uh, protesters. There is an element that I think we all can agree uh, are there uh, with what seems to be a different agenda or maybe a concurrent agenda. Uh, but the, for our white allies who are there to support the agenda that the black community has put forth, you know, my, my request to them is to allow black atheists to make a decision of which way a protest is going to go or which way they express their pain. They should be in the lead of them. And I always say, if you are at a protest, and I understand that white allies are in pain to see people in pain, and they're trying to figure out how best to help. If you need a guy on moral consciousness and which direction we should go, I would say look at the black women who are at their protest. And let's, right. let's, let's follow them. That's a, that's, that's a great idea. What is concerning you now in terms of of, of what's going to happen? Because you, you talk about the discussion, uh, the conversation. You talk about also the white protesters as well. I mean, I was at I was in Baltimore after Freddie Gray when the uh, the street disturbances happened there, covering it for Fox Five News at ten, and it it was almost a similar scenario, uh, not not on as long standing and as long running a scale, but there were. There were whites from outside the community. They were the first ones to set it off when the heavily armed police officers and the reinforcements came in, start it, and then get out of there. And, of course, other people didn't know what was going on, and then they just jumped in. But it's this. it, it just se- seems like there's different agendas going on. And then in Minneapolis, I'm hearing from, from the people I'm talking to on the streets there that there's, yes, there are the white supporters who are supporting what the African-American community and communities of color are going through. But then there are also now white supremacists, uh, white supremacists showing up there. And it's just it's just turning into chaos and really, I think, taking away from what the whole issue is here. Right. And, and we have to be clear about what's happening and why. And as you mentioned, some people may jump in, but if you're in pain and you're in anger and someone is misusing that pain and anger, uh, we should understand that as well. And so what I'm saying, uh, again, exactly. let's follow particularly black women what, what, uh, when, when, that, when we're at this protest. But also, you know, what I saw the first day was a, an oppressive show of police force before any protest even began. That was the wrong way to start off. Now, we are talking about a whole host of issues. I didn't even bring up the fact that black women's mortality rate is higher than anyone because people don't believe their pain. And we have to throw all of these things in the bucket because these are things that people have to this, deal this with. This is what Dr. Manny's been saying. Exactly. Correct. I mean, we have, we have research on this. This is, this is nothing so making up. This published research, even in New York City, at Mount Sinai, about 
a black woman showing up to the hospital with pain or, or child labor have a higher mortality rate because no one believes them. This is the reality of vote, but yeah. no one protests about it. So these are things that if we don't fight for that and, and complain about that or protest about that, then these things will happen because no one respects our lives. And that's exactly right. And so every institution, this type of protest makes sense, as a matter of fact, from the education to the, med to the, to the medical, everything. And, but we have to know that the focus of many people's um, ire are the police departments yes. because they are the ones that kill most acutely. And they're the ones who will get sent in to continue to push forward what are oftentimes oppressive policies and laws. So if we know that, the response to the people who are in pain and who are looking at what is happening with the police department shouldn't be further oppressive and aggressive policing to deal with this. Um, and I want to have a message also to the city of New York. We are going to have some uncomfortable days in there. That's what's going to happen. Um, there's no way around it. And so we as a city have to find a way to create a space for people to express and pain, and there's going to be discomfort. I am a proponent of nonviolent protests like Dr. King, but that does not mean peaceful protest. Civil disobedience, by its definition, means that you're disturbing the peace. And so I want to be clear about that. So we have to create some space for that. And we did that well after Aragona. We were one of the cities that we did not see the Exactly. That's what I was going to ask you about. And, and Jumani, you, you, you bring that up. And the, after Eric Garner, because that was that whole stretch with, you know, Michael Brown was before that or right around that same time. There were a whole series of horrific incidents and the tra tragic incidents. So the, there were a lot of protests. And I, I think some of them, in terms of sheer numbers, were even bigger than some of the things we've seen so far in New York in, in one location. The police strategy seemed very different from what we've seen this week. Yes, they allowed them. And I'm the mayor of Scott Flack with this, and I remember saying he was absolutely right. Right. Then I took over, I think it was the West Side Highway. Yes. And blocked that for a very long time. But you have to allow people to express their pain and anger. When you come in with this type of thing that I saw, it is going to create a more tense situation. I was on a street corner for maybe two hours, uh, where they refuse to allow uh, protesters to move forward, so worried about them taking the streets. You, you can't worry about that right now. I think the best thing that we can do is allow folks to move and go where they want to go and express themselves, create a space so they can express their pain and anger. That will be uncomfortable. Right, because and after... we as a city have to... Go ahead. No, no, go ahead, Jumani. Um, we as a city have to understand many of these people have been uncomfortable for a very, very, very long time. And so if we as a city want to get through this, we have to understand the next few days are going to be uncomfortable, and we have to provide the best pathway forward to deal with that discomfort. Uh, and that includes not having police ram uh, the protesters. And so, and I understand, and I do want to say this sometimes, uh, folks I run with, I don't want to say, but I also have to remember that these police officers are human beings and they too want to go back home to their families. So if you have a street corner where we're sitting there for two or three hours, everybody is getting more tense. Everyone is getting more tense. Right. And so the best thing to do is to release that pressure and allow people to move where they need to move and allow people uh, to express their anger and their pain yeah, and deal with the discomfort. But more importantly, we as leaders have to tell them what we're doing right now in this minute 
not the mayor saying what needs to be done in Minneapolis. What are we doing here today? So, Jumani, so, so, so what do people need to do today? So right now, there's something called 58 uh, that shields us from knowing uh, the history of officers and bad behavior. The, the, this administration that we're in now on the city level reinterpreted it to the way it is now. On the state level, the state legislature and the government can repeal 58. That's something we can do right now. The officers who uh, were there when Eric Garner was killed, there's so many of them have never been brought to account. Right. There was just one officer, right and it took five five years to get that one officer five years. fired. And, the, and Gwen Carr, his mother, and then Reverend Sharpton pushing for that for that many. And the family, and Emerald Garner, and the, and the daughter, you know, the, the family fighting. There's cases like Daryl on Small, where, where we know the officer uh, lied about the account. Something has happened there. We're facing a city budget right now where the mayor is proposing to cut the Division of Youth and Community Development, up to uh, over 40%. But the NYPD budget is remaining almost entirely intact. Those are things that we can do right now. We can say, look, we're not going to take away every single summer youth job like we have proposed and only cut the police department 0.39% out of the $6 billion budget that they have. Those are things that we can do right now. The governor can say, I'm not going to cut Medicaid anymore. I'm going to do what I refuse to do and raise revenue for people who have um, private yachts and private planes. Those are things that we can do right at this moment. All right, Jumani, thank you so much for for being with us uh, on Street Soldiers. A very emotional morning, a very emotional time, and hopefully things will be better on the other side of this. But thank you for being with us always, and uh, keep up the great work. Thank you. Peace and blessings, love and light. All right, peace. Thank you so much. All right. Uh, we're going to get to the phone calls, 1-800-223-9797. But first, we're going to get a quick explanation of these charges against this police officer in Minneapolis, because I want to keep bringing this back to what was behind this whole situation here. Joining us now is uh, Attorney Philip Hamilton. He is a criminal defense attorney, civil rights attorney, former uh, public defender with the Bronx Defenders. Uh, Phil, great to have you with us. Thank you so much. Lisa, always great to be here. Thanks for Thank having you. me. We have Dr. Manny with us as well. Phil, um, a lot of people, as you know, were stunned that the charges were third-degree murder against Officer Derek Chauvin, and former police officer Derek Chauvin in Minneapolis. Why is that? How can that happen? Why are people surprised or why is it? No, why, why third-degree third murder? Because people, we all saw what happened on that video. Like that looked premeditated. You're talking about almost nine minutes. He's there almost three minutes after after uh, George Floyd is unresponsive. He's still there keeping it, keeping his knee on his neck. I mean, isn't that premeditated? Isn't that like a first degree murder thing? I mean, the argument can be made that it is, but I'll put it to you like this. I think in deciding to make that charge, the prosecution is signaling in large part, Lisa, that they're just playing it safe. Because the first-degree murder charge in Minnesota requires that the prosecutors have to prove that a killer acted with premeditation and with the intent to affect the death of another person. So in not going for the first-degree count, which a lot of people were hoping for, it may just be a situation that they're looking at it and saying, are we really going to be able to prove that he premeditated this murder? Right? And so that could potentially be a tough charge for them. Now, could they have potentially brought a second-degree murder charge? Yes. 
And that is still something that's my understanding that they're looking into because with second degree murder, you don't have to prove premeditation. You just have to prove that there was an intent to kill. And based on what we're seeing, I feel like that's more of a stronger argument than the first degree murder charge. But the third degree murder charge, for the purposes of what we're looking at and knowing that we're dealing with a police officer, to be frank, it's probably more of a safer bet for prosecutors as they see the case than even the second degree murder charge. And I think that's how we ended up with the third degree, because the third degree matter murder charge in Minnesota only requires that not intent be shown, but that they prove that a person intended to kill another person by doing so recklessly or without regard for human life. And I think with what we see on that video, it's pretty clear that that officer had no regard for the life of George Floyd and that he was acting super recklessly. And even if he didn't know, everybody on the street was trying to let him know. Even one of his officers at a certain point in that video who is a rookie was just like, hey, do you think maybe you should kind of let up? You know, we could have some other situations, some other issues here happen with this man, you know, if you don't let up. And, and he was rebuffed. So for him to get out of the situation that he didn't know that he was acting recklessly or he didn't know that he could kill this man, it's just belied by everything we see on the video and just everything we all know from common sense. You can't sit on the back of someone's neck with your knee for eight minutes and not think that they'll die. Exactly. And then there was a was there a, was there other charges with that, too? Or were there other charges with that, too? Or just it was they the did. No, 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 you're right. They did hit him with a second degree manslaughter charge as well, which is even easier to prove than the third degree murder charge, which when I'm saying they're trying to play this safe, I think they're trying to play it safe because the manslaughter charge in this case, it really only requires that they prove negligence, right? In that, you know, the officer created an unreasonable risk that he acted without regard for human life. And I think we all, I, I'm a defense attorney. I love due process. I love, you know, in the sense of being able to fight for my clients. If I have this case, which I never would, but if I was defending this officer, you know, what defense do you really have to the second degree manslaughter charge? You exactly. can throw out some arguments, but they're going to be weak. And then and then what about the other three officers? Why haven't they been charged? And, and why is it so hard to get charges against police officers when they, they take somebody's life? I mean, in terms of the other three officers, we should, and I think I've heard they're still looking into, we should be ready for at some point, maybe them coming with some aiding and abetting charges, almost like an accessory charge to the murder for those officers. However, again, for that rookie, I think his name was Thomas Lane for that officer. He was the one that kind of did say like, hey, you know, maybe you should let up. But then he was rebuffed by supervisors. So maybe with respect to that officer, he may find a way to be able to kind of maneuver out of any aiding and abetting charges. But definitely the supervisors on the scene to sit there and not let anybody to, to not intervene on their own and then to not let the other officer intervene. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if I would see those charges. And frankly, even as a defense attorney, I wouldn't mind seeing them in terms of why is it so difficult to bring these charges against police officers? It's just because, you know, from a societal standpoint, this society holds officers up in such a light that, frankly, a lot of my clients aren't held, but that makes it difficult to prosecute these cases because juries and, frankly, even the law itself, when we start looking at, like, civil cases and the qualified immunity that's often given to officers, everybody is just super hesitant to second-guess the discretionary decisions of police officers. And so to the extent that you have police officers saying, look, I acted in fear of my life. I thought this man was going to, you know, shoot me. I thought he had a gun. I thought he had a weapon. I didn't know it happened so fast. 
None of those arguments are here. Didn't nothing happen fast in that respect, Lisa? Your knees on the back of the man's neck for eight minutes. There's no fear that you had that will require you to keep your knee on the back of right. his neck. So I think this case is distinguishable. But to answer your question generally, I think that's why it's often so hard to bring these charges against police officers. So, right. Philip, what, what are your thoughts around this autopsy um, report? And, uh, you know, how much weight does that actually carry in a trial? I mean, look, it, it, it always carries weight. And I know kind of what you're getting to is the fact that they kind of found the cause of death to, you know, pre-existing conditions. Person. Correct, correct. Like with respect to like the asphyxiation and they're saying that, you know, it was the pre-existing conditions, but whatever, right? Because like if I'm a hemophiliac and ultimately, you know, somebody comes and stabs me, the fact that maybe I bled out faster than someone else would, and maybe I wouldn't have died if I wasn't a hemophiliac, doesn't then excuse the murder of me. And it's the same analogy goes here with Mr. Floyd. The fact that he may have even had some pre-existing conditions, do those pre-existing conditions cause his death in that moment? If a knee is not on the back of his neck for right. eight minutes, exactly, exactly. We, we saw what happened, and if we did not see what happened on video, it would be a completely different argument. Right. Correct. Correct. So, Phil, what's what's the next step? So he's he's been arrested. They're still investigating the three other officers, and then to see will we see him in court? Will he go to court on this, or will they? I mean, now you got the federal, you know, the Justice Department. These are Minnesota state charges, right, with the murder, the third-degree murder. So now the federal government, the Justice Department, is getting involved. No, we should be thinking there. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so are we getting – is this going to be one of those things like we saw with the uh, Garner case where the officer, you know, the, the NYPD has to fall back because – or they say they fall back because the feds are investigating – um, and then that dragged on for several years. In other words, do you think anything is really going to happen with this in a, in a, within the next couple months? I mean, I think the state in this case, again, it's a, it's a different situation from the Eric Garner situation for a whole host of factors. You got to remember the Eric Garner situation occurred out in Staten Island. So with respect to like the state investigation, you know, Staten Island, very conservative jurisdiction. We know we have a lot of police officers that live out there. It was a tough case to kind of press out there. You know, had the case happened in Brooklyn or the Bronx or, you know, even Manhattan to a certain extent, we may have seen kind of a different strategy and a different outcome. Now, going back to Minnesota, with what happened here in Minneapolis, I don't know necessarily if it makes it that difficult of a case for the state to press forward. You know, I'm not fully versed on, like, what the localities are of Minneapolis and, you know, what the jury makeup is and everything like that. But I think that they, with this video as bad as Eric Garner was, this was worse. They have to move forward on it, and I don't think that they're going to give the feds, particularly, let's be frank, this administration that's currently heading the DOJ and some of the things that we've seen occur just in like the last couple of months in terms of decisions that they've made with respect to charging, I don't think that the state is going to hold up their investigation, and I don't think that they should, frankly, give any deference to DOJ at this point personally. I think that they should just move forward with their investigation because what more do you really have to investigate? I know that they want to play it safe, but like we was just said, we saw what happened on the video, unfortunately, and we saw what happened for over eight minutes. There's not there's not a lot of wiggle room that this officer has that I'll say for Pantaleo within the Eric Garner uh, situation, you know, that officer, he had more wiggle room than this one. And the video was not fuzzy. This is HD. Right, exactly. This is high the video is 4K. Right, right. There's, there's no way. Well, Phil, listen, we're gonna. I, I know we're gonna want to be checking in with you as this moves forward. But thank you very much for being with us this morning. We appreciate it.
Lisa, you know I'm always here. Thanks for having me. Guys. All right. Thank you so much. Attorney Philip Hamilton. He's a principal of Philip uh, Hamilton Law and former Bronx defender, now criminal defense attorney. And uh, we're going to, oh, I just locked him in. Okay, I'm going to let Jack the Mac handle the phones here. I promise you we're going to get to the phone calls in just a moment at 1-800-223-9797. That's 1-800-223-9797. Right now we're going to go to a former NYPD lieutenant, Dr. Darren Porcher. He's a criminal justice professor and also a law enforcement analyst. Um, Darren, thank you for being with us. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me at this time. Now, Darren, when... uh, you first came on Street Soldiers right after the Eric Garner case to give your reaction and, you know, help us understand what was going on and just give a police point of view. But when you saw that video with George Floyd, what did you think about that as a, a former professional law enforcement officer? Well, I, I revert back to that as a lieutenant in the NYPD's Internal Affairs Bureau. In investigating cases of this magnitude, I saw gross similarities. I saw an instance where there was a clear um, overaggression of police in connection with taking someone into custody. This went beyond taking someone into custody. And so when we look at Mr. Floyd laid helpless on the ground with a knee from an officer on his neck, it really sends shockwaves to to move forward that narrative of a miscarriage of justice being introduced to the communities of color. I'm a firm proponent in policing should be quintessential on a universal level, and this is clearly as an this is clearly an example of hyper aggressive policing that resulted in the death of a person that should not have been. Um, taken into custody um, on this level. And it goes back to this being a nonviolent offense that resulted in this person losing their life. All right, Darren, in terms of the, uh, let, let's talk about the protest because that's where we're, we're going to get to the calls. So Fidel, Dennis, uh, Vernon, everybody on hold, Dorothy, we're going to get to your telephone calls in just a moment. But when you see how the NYPD is handling the protests, um, and we, we welcome any officers who are who are who have been out there on the streets this past week. Give us a call at one eight hundred two two three ninety seven ninety seven. You can call in anonymously. We'll put you on. We want to hear your point of view as well too. We want to hear from everybody. But Darren, in terms of the strategy, because after the Eric Garner case and when all the protests that were happening there, there was um, the, the NYPD had a policy. They let the protesters move around. They they had uh, some sections on some of the streets. They kept them on the street and off the sidewalk so people could still move around and get into their apartments or whatever. Um, and they just basically didn't block them into certain, you know, certain pen them in to certain areas. What do you think about what they're doing now compared to what they did then? Well, I think this is a colossal failure of the DeBasio administration's unwillingness to address this as, as it is. There's a difference between a protest and a riot. When I think in terms of a riot, I think of lawless behavior that's causing destruction within the community. I think us, we as New Yorkers are better than that. We have a small component of agitators that are predicating the destruction of property and lawlessness. I think if you do nothing, no action, it'll then cause the actions of this riot, so to speak, to exacerbate. I think that we need to neutralize 
the riot as quickly as possible because the gross majority of us as New Yorkers live in communities that want our communities maintained in accordance with a lawful society. The small number of rioters are going against that dynamic, and therefore I think that it's necessary for police to neutralize these individuals as quickly as possible. Okay, when you say neutralize, wait, wait, hold, Darren, hold on one second. When you say neutralize, that sounds pretty scary to me, to be honest. What do you mean by neutralize? Neutralize means quell the violence. All right, so, so meaning arrest, violence, meaning driving a, driving a cop car into a crowd of protesters, meaning what? Meaning you target the adversaries that are the agitators, and you take those agitators into custody. People's communities are being burned. You have store owners. You have people that live in these communities that are diametrically opposed to riots. There's a strong difference between a riot and a protest. A protest is something that's covered under your constitutional rights. That's something that's afforded to you. But rioting, and I want to stress rioting, is a clear act of lawlessness. And that's what we need to extract from the communities that um, many of these people don't even live here. i give you an example. We had two women that came from the Catskills down and threw Molotov cocktails at, into at, police vehicles. They're not, they're, not from these, they're not from this community. They're coming from outside. So these, uh, and not just in New York, but when you look at it on a national level, a lot of your agitators are coming from outside of these communities and disrupting these communities as a result. Therefore, we need to target the specific agitators that are rioters and remove them from the equation. When I say remove them from the equation and neutralize them, I mean take them into custody and process the, and process them accordingly. So basically, if they're committing, a, if they're protesting peacefully, let them protest, make it easy for them to protest. If they're breaking the law, like, you know, using weapons, using violence, uh, stealing property, any of that type of thing, then just enforce the law you would on any other day. Absolutely. These people are coming in and tearing down our communities. We have to go back into these communities the next day and live there. While you have many of these agitators that tear down our communities and go back to where they came from, such as the two women from the Catskills. They're not New Yorkers. They're not New York City residents. And this is something that's happening universally throughout the United States. Oh, definitely. What do you think is going to happen next couple of days? I think um, cool heads will eventually prevail, and one of the strategies that need to be employed is a triangulation of police, um, politicians, and community leaders need to have meetings, uh, back-channel meetings, to assess this is what the nature of these, uh, of, um, these protests and riots are taking us to, and therefore, how can we effectively get to a place of calm? Those three entities need to meet in the back channel, which traditionally happens. It just takes a couple of days, and then in uh, a, a uh, excuse me, we will now introduce, or they will introduce, a plausible alternative to quelling the violence. So what's, so what's it going can't on? just be done with. 
It can't just be done with police. It can't just be done with politicians. And it can't be done with just just the community. It needs to be that triangulation that meets on the back channel. All people there. The question is for how long, right? How many many times do we need to protest in a certain sense, right? Every time you protest, this thing happens over and over again. uh, But we we protest and we go back to the exact same thing. It doesn't change. They do police reforms, but the judicial system still favors the police officers when they're in the wrong. Correct. And I think a lot of young people are significantly pissed off. That's the piece that's missing. Is that the young people are not involved, who are are mostly the ones on the streets, are not the ones that are involved in any of these decision-making processes or any of these... these, any of these channels. Correct. So, so the idea that just let's let's go have a meeting and just have a conversation and then move on. It doesn't change the fact that I'm terrified to walk out tomorrow. It doesn't change uh, what happens next. It doesn't change that I need to have um, you know an eight minute video showing exactly what happens to me for me to to prove that I'm not guilty. <laughs> right to live in a same society. So so I think it has to be more proactive than that. I, I think the meetings have happened and the, the, this have been going on for years. I think it's time for people to to believe in their own self worth and you know empower themselves to move forward. All right. Darren, we'll see what happens. Thank you very much for being with us. Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you so much. All right, thank you. That's a um, good point, though. He made there's a big there's a difference between a protest and a riot. Dr. Manny, let's take some just real quick before we get to phone calls. Were you concerned about the huge crowds being obviously nobody's social distancing? Everybody's all over everybody Uh, in terms of the with the backdrop of the pandemic. That is actually very interesting, uh, right? Uh, because we've seen crowds, um, you know, people gather on this, right? So when black people in general, you know, have to protest uh, during a pandemic uh, because of constant police brutality uh, and get tear gassed, right? But at the same time, we see white people, like in Michigan, for example, carry guns to the state house, right? <laughs> right. Um, That's the crazy thing, exactly. They wanted haircuts, right? And right. they want to go shopping, right. right? Right. So it's a completely different kind of it's element. A, it's a double standard. It's a total, a total double standard. Co- correct. So I, I think it's very concerning in the idea of you because people have been trapped at home, right? Um, you know, stay so there's home. a lot of pent up anger. Period. Correct. They have people are not working. Uh, they've been laid off. They've they've had family members die, and so you see people coming out um, with this. And don't forget, all these things happen. All the protests actually violating the, all the social distancing rules that are in place, right? So we are watching this across exactly. the country. And so if, if the rule is uh, people being in crowds uh, leads to a high uh, cases of COVID-19, I'm actually looking at this right now and studying this and see what happens two weeks from now. All right, and we'll, we'll, we'll find out for right. you two weeks from now. All right, let's go to Fidel. He's been hanging out for a very long time. Fidel, hi, you're on Hot 97. Thank you for hanging on. Yes, good morning, Lisa. Good morning. What's uh, your... Good morning, doctor. Good morning. Um, yes, I, I would just like to um, give my um, condolences to the family of Floyd and um, absolutely. And um, for for all the um, protesters that 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 backed um, the family up, I think it's great that people are coming out voicing their opinion, and um, uh, I kind of uh, agree with Darren, and I kind of disagree. If you notice, back then when we used to protest. Even if it turned into a riot, you're still voicing your opinion. You're still showing how wrong and 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 how people are just getting mistreated out here and just trying to just work and take care of their families. And 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 you have officers that are taking their badges, taking their their authority, and going to a totally Totally other extent. These these NYPD officers are getting trained. They, they, we hear it from Mayor de Blasio. We hear from Governor Cuomo. 
he brought in he brought in the um state police even even the state troopers now are in NYPD territory so we are dealing with both entities now and it's unfair that these officers are getting paid even when they are wrong and right, it, like you're just, talking about like like Pantaleo he was paid during the 5 years the Garner yes. and got and got raises for being on desk duty and got a promotion um, while, yes. while that was while that was happening, Fidel, I appreciate the point. Um, I got to move on though because we just have a couple yes, minutes. No we have problem. A lot, a lot more I appreciate you, Lisa, because without you, this would not be talked about. So I thank you very much for even having me on the radio with you guys. I just like to just say one thing. Uh, my daughter just graduated John Jay College for criminology, and I like to just tell her her name is Mariah Martin, and I just say congratulations. All right, congratulations, Mariah. And I, and I think you can say I'm a little bit, you know, partial to w women in that f in predominantly male fields. But uh, Mariah Martin, congratulations on your graduation. And we look forward to hearing you doing great groundbreaking things to uh, bring justice to everybody in our country. Let's, uh, Fidel, thank you so much. Let's go to uh, Dennis right now. Dennis, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Good morning, Lisa, and good morning, Doctor. I just wanted to say that uh, earlier you mentioned about statistics with United States Department of Justice. I think uh, I just want to say that we have so many sometimes useless statistics, and this is one right. statistic that should be first and foremost available at your fingertips just like that. Exactly, so, and that was there was a Washington Post that did a lot of research on that to uh, to, to to find that out. Uh, Dennis, thank you so much for the call. We appreciate it. Absolutely, sir. Okay. Bye. Bye. Let's go to uh, Vernon right now. Vernon, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Hi, good morning. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning, uh, panel. And uh, I just wanted to say um, I, I'm really uh, saddened by the fact that even by now, um, just to express ourselves as as a community, as a city, as a as a nation, uh, seems to be the ultimate how you say chastisement. It's almost like if you don't say anything, you're a part of the problem. And if you say something, you come out to to express yourselves in in, in, a, in a group, you you get labeled as part of the problem. And too often, the people are being pointed at and saying, uh, being told that we're the problem as the people for feeling the way we feel. But there's no problem as long as you carry the badge and the gun or the authority. You're allowed to do and how you feel and want. And even though technically that's not true, but it's almost perceived as so. And I just got to say, um, nature versus nurture. You know, the, the, the nurture of, of, of our policing around us has gotten worse and it's going to continue to get that way in terms of, that structure, but the nature of people always rise up because people get fed up. So I always feel nature wins over the nurture, and unfortunately, some sad times are going to come as a result of it because the nature of the people are not going to just continue to lie down and continue to take such exactly. Things. Right, Vernon, thank you so much for the call, and I, and I think that was the point that Dr. Darren Porcher was. Uh, was was making a former NYPD lieutenant is that there was a structure that was put in place here in New York City since the since the death of Eric Garner, where there were police community liaisons, uh, there was neighborhood policing, there were much more con there was much more uh, personal contact in the precincts at the precinct level, and I think what Darren was saying, uh, you know, the point that he was making about this triangulation that he calls it is is really the police working with the community leaders, working with the elected officials to really have a plan and 
place, then give people a place to protest. Have have a stra- have a strategy that everybody understands what the strategy is, so that you know, especially young people need direction. And I think the and honestly, I have to say it. It's like I, I think the I think the adults, I think we have failed them in terms of giving them a, a way to really vent their energy and vent their frustration and vent their anger um, in, in a positive way. We've, we've got to come up with more ways. And that's what we we're trying to do this morning. And shout out to P.O. Farrow, our, our senior VP for programming and everything else here at Hot 97 for uh, letting us go live for two hours here and, and taking your telephone calls, which we will right after this. WQHD HD1 New York. This is a special coronavirus edition of Street Soldiers, hosted by Lisa Evers on Hot 97. This is Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers, our special two-hour live. We're going into hour two right now of our Street Soldiers State of Emergency Sound Off on everything that is going on in the United States and here in New York City, asking you the question, what will it take to have black lives really matter? What will it take to have the same system of justice for everyone in America, regardless of their race? Uh, give us a call, 1-800-223-9797. Were you one of the protesters out last night? We'd like to hear from you as well. If you were one of the police officers that was out on the streets last night, we'd like to hear from you as well. Joining me in studio is, is Dr. Manny Fambu. He's a surgeon and medical doctor with an MBA, best-selling author of the book, The Future of Healthcare. And Dr. Manny, the frustrations that people are feeling, you feel that this is bigger. The George Floyd incident obviously was a big trigger, but you feel there's a lot of other things that have been brewing. Yes, I mean, I, I think um, a lot of times we've been dependent on statistics, right? I mean, you could get the statistics, you could write a paper, you could publish, but it's time for us to actually take those data sets and become more proactive about it. So we know, for example, that prisons and jails are filled with African-American males. <laughs> we know that. Um, and so when they come out, they can't get jobs. And so people live back in poverty. That means they can't take care of their families. And so they get sick. They probably don't have insurance. So they get, you know, early disease and then they die. Right. So we know, um, you know, one of the leading causes among black men is death by police right and so the shootings and killings among each other because people don't have that self-worth right and now you have something like COVID-19 happening affecting the same community with essential workers or, you know bus drivers that are part of the community people trying to work hard and so people don't see a way out right so I think it's a it's a right moment for us to think about the new normal so the new normal for us um, you know usually at a usual time like this People are busy with work, so people kind of get distracted, right? So now everyone is glued at home, right? People have the TVs. Right, exactly. People are following what is happening, so people are frustrated. And you could tell people get uh, put down the, you know, the risk of their own lives for COVID-19, and they're out there protesting. So I think uh, this is a systemic um, issue, and I think we need to address it. Definitely. All right, 1-800-223-9797. We're going to go to our newsmaker line right now to attorney Charles Tucker. He's a principal of Tucker Moore Law Group, as well as a former prosecutor. Charles, great to have you on the show again. Thank you for being with us. Good morning, Lisa. Thank you for having me. Charles, when you look at the uh, the George Floyd case, the this third-degree murder charge left a lot of people feeling like, wow, that was nothing, and the other officers not being charged. What kinds of problems do you think they're having with bringing charges, or is it just they don't want to do it? Right. Uh, well, well, first, in light of the seriousness of it, uh, you know, it, as a former prosecutor, I can tell you to make a charge, you have to take time to really make sure you get it right uh, because, you know, it's not something you're doing for the the public, you're not doing it just for the public demand. It's a, you're a public servant, and it's a 
it's a lengthy decision that you want to really make time to make sure you're making the right decision because it's not a feeling decision. It's a legal decision that you want to make right and get justice done. So when you look at the charge of third degree, uh, the other two charges, quite, quite honestly, Lisa, on the facts in, in such a quick turnaround time, uh, I would say he or, took the time to kind of go through and see not what he um, may believe, but more importantly, what he could prove to a jury of 12 uh, at the appointed time. And when you look at the Minnesota statute and what is required to prove the intent element, uh, Lisa, quite frankly, I, I believe, uh, given the facts that have been revealed, and honestly, you know, there are other facts that may, may soon develop. Uh, but in such a quick turnaround time, I think he made the right call uh, as what a jury of 12 would probably believe. Because all it takes one person to believe that they didn't have the requisite intent at that time. And then the whole case goes up in smoke and there goes the justice out the window. And then people are frustrated. So that's a great point you're making about the that there, there, there there's d- different standards in terms of making a case that is actually going to hold up in court. Charles, let me ask you this. In terms of the autopsy, this preliminary autopsy report that blames his death on underlying uh, pre-existing conditions, what role does an autopsy uh, report play in a prosecutor's toolbox and also a defense attorney's. If you if you put your one hat on, your former hat on, and then your current hat on, what like how important yes. is the autopsy report in terms of the actual charges, or is there not not a connection there? Well, you would have to. I mean, because that's going to come in at some point. You know, you have to. Uh, uh, the death obviously is that element that's going to come in at the at the time when you're putting on your case uh, in chief as a prosecutor, right? And when you have those preliminary reports, right, the final report will probably play more of a weight. But of course, you have to take into account that preliminary report that puts all the other other uh, elements into play. And then again, you know, I'm we're all Monday morning quarterbacking it now. But to me, uh, you know, having that that previous life. It sounds like they made the right call and, you know, with some of those because now you're adding other elements into uh, what might have caused to led the death of the deceased. As a defense attorney, Lisa, I would have a field day, okay, because now you've given me a document that is in the purview of the prosecution. And you see on paper where there's an official who's charged with making a medical decision as to the cause of death. And they've given me several reasons, medical reasons, as to what could have led to his his death. uh, And none of it deals with intent. None of those elements that are listed do mean with intent. So all I need is to convince one of those 12 that, you know, one of these other reasons put on a preliminary report. Uh, and that's quite plausible. When you think about it, Lisa, that's quite plausible. So they would have a field day in using one of those reasons as what could have. Because if, if you if you introduce as a defense attorney, my job is not to, you know, I don't have, I have a lower standard. I have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. All I have to give them is a plausible doubt. Wow. So, when, so see when see when you explain it like that, I can understand it because. But like a lot of other people who are not lawyers, we're looking at this going like, how much more plain can it be? It's right there on the video. 
That was purposefully. I, I mean, right, the, the autopsy results coming yeah. out and saying that, of course, that's what the defense attorney will be very happy with that, right? And so this Absolutely. argument... I know I would. Correct. <laughs> and, and this is exactly why, if you from a healthcare perspective, there's no, there's no difference between the, the, the criminal element of it and, and your health, <laughs> right? Because now yeah. they kill you on video and they blame it on your health. So it's very important for yeah. young people to be healthy. Right. Yes. Because when you, com when you yeah. compare, uh, you know, George Floyd at his age, I compare it to a white male at his age, he has a higher risk of having hypertension, atherosclerosis, which is common in that community, but not in someone, yeah. a, a white person. So it's very easy to say, well, this person is sick and he was not healthy and he's this, so that's why he died. Oh, I see how that works. Charles, what, just quickly, because we got to get to the phone lines sure. here. What do you think is, yep. uh, what do you think is going to happen next with this? I mean, obviously, they're going to do some additional investigation. I mean, normally to come back with charges for uh, law enforcement that quickly, you know, obviously pressure was on them. And I thought they they made a safe call. Uh, obviously, they're going to do additional investigation. You may see additional charges for the other officers as well, their involvement. Uh, and and there's always the opportunity if the prosecution feels they have additional evidence to amend the charges and increase. Uh, but quite frankly, Lisa, I don't believe long term uh, when you look again, when you're looking to uh, what you can prove to 12 people. I, I don't believe you'll see uh, added charges uh, to the main uh, individual, the main culprit, Derek Chavin, but uh, you will probably see some additional charges or some charges to the other officers involved as well. All right. Well, Charles, Attorney Charles Tucker, thank you very much for being with us. We appreciate it. No problem, Lisa. All right. Thank, th thank you so much. All right. Uh, Dr. Manny, we got a ton of ton of comments here. Let's go to uh, Martel right now. Martel, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Oh, hi. Good morning, Lisa. This is Martel. I'm from I'm from Brooklyn. Um, it's a lot going on over here. It's night. It's really crazy. I can they imagine. Have, uh, yeah. I was talking. I heard you guys talking about the agitators and, and the protests and everything. And I come to find that. A lot of situations that they set up that that look set up in New York, like they have, um, they had like a pile of bricks sitting on a New York street where there was absolutely no construction. Oh, really? So it was like, yeah, there's a lot of things like that. They had like it was just a bunch of stuff that that just had no reason being there. So it was like they had to set up so that, and it was like right in front of like museums with like a lot of windows. So they made it so that our people could come grab these bricks, throw them through these windows, make sure that you know, everybody who's doing it is getting caught on camera. And then you have you have these people who's dressed up in all black. They're walking around with umbrellas where there's no rain. And they have face masks on. Complete face masks, not just covering your mouth, not just right. covering your eyes, covering your whole face. They're walking around, they're breaking windows. They're causing more. They're causing more damage to the community. They're vandalizing more things. Like this thing just makes me agitated at this point. No, exactly. And then, have you been? Have you been out there? Have you oh, been yeah. out on the streets? I've been out. Yeah, so, I've so this brick thing, because what, what you're saying about the what you're saying that the the violence is more organized than what we yeah, may it's think. It's not just people like these two women from the Catskills driving down that exactly. there's actually... Exactly. It's set up. It's, and, it's and what much deeper. It's, 
what you're saying, what you're saying, I heard of the, um, I heard in Chicago too. They had like in the in the loop in the area where they were, mm-hmm. they had a a similar type of area. They had there were a lot of there were just rocks where there was like no construction. Rock. Yeah, that happened in Chicago. Yeah, Chicago is one of the main places. Chicago, New Jersey, is a lot of places like that where they set up situations to make uh, our people do, you know, a lot of, you know, reckless things or make it seem like we're doing these reckless things. There was a situation in either Chicago or New Jersey where they found, like, a a van full of guns. And um, the people they took, you know, the whole bunch of young people, so, you know, Young people, they, they see guns, illegal guns, crazy. So they, everything was snatched out. Why they said the next week, that whole van was reloaded with weapons and this and that. It's just a lot. Like, I'm like, what? They said they reloaded the van with new weapons. Basically doing the same thing with these bricks. Reloading, restocking these bricks so it could cause more, more damage, more you know, vandalism to the community more is just and it's it's that know? that part to me. Listen, I I understand I understand the outrage and I understand people be, to the boiling point. But by the same token, you know, it's it's like the morning after regret, and then you'll I'm like going. A lot of people are not going to be able to go to work tomorrow. A lot of job. A lot of these stores. How are they going to reopen? You know, with a pandemic, we're supposed to open here in New York City in in phase one in about a week on June eighth. Right. And um, yeah. what's going to happen to that? Well, listen, Martel, stay in touch with us. Um, thank you. Thank you very much for the call. And, thank you. And if you get any pictures from out there, like other bricks or anything like that, DM me on uh, Instagram, okay? All right. No. All right. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Dr. Manny, and, and then a week from, we're like a week away from this reopening. So that just adds another factor into all this. Correct. I, I think it was definitely play a role. Um, if it is true, um, what scientists believe that, you know, if we have a lot of young people uh, congregating in crowds, um, that you have a high risk and six feet rules and all those rules we had in place, these have all been violated <laughs> right across the country, right? So if it's true, then we'll see what happens in a spike um, in a couple of weeks from now. And if there's no spike, then I guess, uh, I, I think, uh, then the, the, the phases will have to be reexamined and see how best to do this going forward. But when you saw the first picture of a, of a big crowd like that, was that the first thought that went through your mind? In Minnesota, you're like going, wait a minute, wow. Correct. I mean, everything that we fought for has been completely um, dismantled. Put out, dis- dismantled completely, right? And and so the scary part is, yes, uh, you do have people from the same communities that have been affected, being out there protesting, you know, shaking hands, being close to each other, basically breaking every rule. And then now to go back home. So don't forget, these people are not washing hands when they get home, <laughs> right? right? Uh, you touch your nose, you have tear gas come in. So imagine your hands without washing your hands, right? You put it back on your face. We talked about all these things, right? Um, and so I think a lot of rules have been broken. And so um, I'm very concerned um, and very interested in seeing what happens. I mean, we know when the beach opened up, for example, in certain areas, people went, violated the rules. We saw a, a spike, right? Uh, we look in Texas, for example, when people violated the rules and got close, they also had a spike. And so um, I'm hoping that this doesn't happen in this particular case. Especially when we're on the verge of finally reopening and able to get some of these businesses back. Correct. So and that's then very that concerning. Phase, right. And then just to explain to people, too, it's like what well, Governor Cuomo, this this uh, multi-step process to get everything back open, 
it's uh, which we all have different reasons we want things open, but it's just to be especially for the economy, especially for our, our workers, especially for people with jobs. Phase one, which he says, which he said kind of right before all this happened, would would begin on uh, June 8th. Phase one is a two week process. Then if at the end of the two weeks there's a big spike in cases or there's certain other of these uh, metrics that they have to meet these uh, points that go up these indicators, right, Dr. Manny, is that Correct. how it works? Then they, they shut it back down again. Correct. So everything we've done for the last several months, right, staying home, following all the rules. Goes out the window. I've just been out the window in the last couple of days. So we may not even make it to phase one. Correct. So, yeah, so we don't know. So these are things that we need to uh, figure out, right? So we know on the first day, of course, people don't get sick, right? So down right. the road, um, the people that are positive and get sick, you start seeing if they have higher readmission rates, the people test them more positive, so do all those things, um, something that I, I'm sure um, everyone is closely following. So this is this is just a good a good point. It's like pe- people are out, people want to go out, people need to be out, I- expressing themselves, but you still need to follow the safety precautions. Correct, you do right, um, you, and the safety precautions about six, like the six feet rule, like you know social distancing. Um, I, I saw initially during this whole process when I watched some of, some of the protests, people were actually trying to maintain this, right? But uh, I think the anger that went people, out the window fast. went out the window quick, right? So people don't care anymore, right? And so that's why I was talking about Lisa when we started the show about people caring about themselves, right? If you if you care about yourself and your own health in general, right, even, uh, you know, during this moment or even after this moment, that should be the mindset where you care and you make sure everyone else is safe. My life matters. Your life matters. Matters, correct. It matters in every single aspect. It's about humanity. Let's take care of each other. The right. same kind of rules we're talking Simple, about beginning, right? right? Follow six feet rules, right? Put right. on a mask, wash your hands. <laughs> you just care about other people. Right. It's the same thing here. If we care about people and care uh, and respect each other, they will not be having any of this. All right. 1-800-223-9797. Dr. Manny with us in the studio and uh, taking your telephone calls until the top of the hour at nine o'clock. So, Dr. Manny, let's get uh, some people here on on. Uh, the phone line they've been hanging on. Mo, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Hey, Mo. Hello. Hey, Mo, you're yes, on the hi, air. Go right. You? Hi, thank you for hanging on. Thank you for having me. Um, just wanted to make a few uh, uh, statements and comments regarding um, the doctor and the prosecutor that were there. Okay. And also about the third degree charge, the murder charges. Okay. He's uh, a former they, prosecutor. Uh, you're talking about Charles Tucker. He's a former former prosecutor. What's your point? Well, my point is basically it's preposterous that the fact that they would even state that he has underlying conditions, health conditions. The fact of the matter is he was killed. He was murdered because he was choked to death, begged for his life and couldn't breathe. Um, it's like saying that, you know, somebody that shoots you, uh, it's not your, if somebody shot somebody, it's not their fault. They didn't technically kill you. The bullet killed you. If the gentleman was walking down the street and the cop didn't choke him, or, or, or prevent them from breathing, he would have never died, even with those underlying issues. Exactly. So exactly. It, it's crazy. And and the reason why they, they hit him with third-degree murder charges is because they're giving his defense team an to use a loophole so he won't be he won't be sent to prison. And if he is going to be sent to prison, it's probably going to be for a couple of months, and, uh, you know, it all goes away. Well, we'll and see. And the fact that you have... I'm sorry? No, no, go ahead. I got to take a short break. Attorney there stating that you know his defense is strong. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. Well, he's speaking he from he's video. not speaking from he a political. I know, but he's speaking. He he was what what Tucker was trying to do was, and what I had asked him to do was explain to us 
how the just how the legal system works because what we see on video no no please listen to me because it's very important for us in terms of our education about these matters and that is that what we see on video and what is the human rights issue what is the human you know what we see happening what we saw happening to George Floyd to prove a certain a particular charge in a court of law is a whole different game. It's not a question of whether it was right or wrong. We all know what happened. Was absolutely reasonable wrong. doubt. I think that's right. what it was a reasonable He was doubt. saying basically, you just need to have one person on that jury that that has exactly. a doubt, and and that's it. And he's going to beat it. So he, Mo, I got to move on. But thank you so much for the call. He was Tucker was trying to explain to us. Um, Charles Tucker was trying to explain to us so we understand when we hear these headlines, why was it third degree murder? I had many people on Instagram going, why wasn't it first degree murder? Well, Charles Tucker, Attorney Tucker explained that to us, that they have to go for what they can prove and what they think they can win. And they may have been thinking we need to get something here that is going to be almost a, a, a guaranteed win to get a conviction. Otherwise, people will be very, very even more disappointed. Uh, this is Street Soldiers, our sound off. I'm Lisa Evers, your host, Dr. Manny with us in the studio. Do you have questions about any health questions related to this? Um, and also, we're taking your telephone calls on the protest. What about what Dr. Darren Porcher said earlier in the show? He said there's a difference between a protest and a riot. A difference between a protest and a riot. Martel calling in saying he saw piles of bricks in front of a museum in Brooklyn that looked like they had just been dumped there. Is there some sort of organized element that is uh, really stirring it up with these uprisings and then people who are frustrated and at the end of the rope are just getting caught up in that? Outside agitators, let me know what you think. 1-800-223-9797. We'll be back right after this. This is Hot 97 Street Soldiers, hosted by Lisa Evers. Very emotional morning here on Hot 97 on Street Soldiers. Uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of people in the streets all across America. Last night, much more property damage, much more looting, much more burning, much more anger expressed. Many officials saying and many people in the know saying the, these things were started by outside agitators and then locals joined in. Um, you've heard earlier this morning from attorney Philip Hamilton talking about the charges. You heard from, uh, Dr. Darren Porcher, former NYPD lieutenant saying that the NYPD is not following the plans for dealing with demonstrators that they used after the death of Eric Garner, where they allowed demonstrators to move around and kept it somewhat contained and kept it from, uh, spiraling out of control, that it's a whole different set of situations uh, that's going on right now. We heard from uh, public advocate Jumani Williams, who says there are things that can be done right now to make change, and he outlined some of those. We also heard from criminal defense attorney, former prosecutor Charles Tucker, who was explaining to us why prosecutors do things a certain way and that basically the legal system and the laws are different from uh what public opinion might be. Anyway, let's go to uh, let's go to John right now. John, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Hi, Lisa. Good morning. Good morning. Lisa, I would like to speak on the fact that there's a few uh, subjects that we're not touching. Uh, for instance, um, African-Americans are being attacked by police and um, everybody is rioting. But have you ever questioned yourself why they don't do this to Mexicans or Chinese? We're calling ourselves African-Americans, but if they were to kill a Mexican the way they kill black people, Latin America will burn this country down. You know, the same will apply to the Arab and to the Chinese. 
So that's one thing. Another thing is the Constitution was created at a time where black people were slaves. So I wouldn't be surprised if the cops get away with this because they didn't kill a person in the eyes of the justice and the law. You know, they killed three-fifths of the mass. So right. we need to stop being emotional and we need to get to the bottom of this and change the system, change the U.S. Constitution, you know? And we need to stop calling ourselves Africans because if you we were African-Americans, Africa would be burning the country down, okay? Those are my two points. All right, John, thank you very much for the call. Let's go to, um, let's see, who, who we're gonna, let's go to Adrian right now. Adrian, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Hey, good morning. So um, the point I want to make is that we all know, and, and my condolences to the family and to all those lost, we all know that one officer was on his on George Floyd's neck, but there were other additional officers holding him down for multiple minutes. Exactly. And I don't want, and I don't want that. I'm not saying you, but I don't. I want that to be part of the active conversation because they were part of this. Like we talk about the one cop that was like, "Yo, loosen up" or whatever, but there were additional cops holding him down as yes. if necessary, yes. like torture. And, torture. Like, it was torture, and you know, it's great that you're having these speakers. I definitely learned a lot learning the prosecutor's angle. Like that's fantastic, and we do need to educate ourselves. But I do want us to not forget that there were other police officers holding him down because that has to be part of the active conversation. And we want them to be held accountable. Like that will make, I don't want to say a difference, but it will set a tone that we need to hear that everyone will be held responsible. No, exactly. But we didn't see that. We didn't see that with Eric Garner. There was one police officer, yeah. the one who was putting him in the, the illegal chokehold, which the police commissioner at the time, William Bratton, said right away was an illegal chokehold, even though it was debated after that. And the other officers who were with him, nobody was charged. And uh, the paramedics that showed up that didn't do anything to help him, they, I think they might have gotten some sort of little disciplinary thing, but nothing, nothing too big. Correct. I mean, I think it's very important for them to be charged for multiple reasons, right? Uh, because it's very important for police officers, you know, to control their colleagues when they're in such situations, right? Because if a civilian actually tried to push the cop to get there to help him, they probably get shot for some reason and saying they're attacking a cop, right? right? So, so you have to police yourself and your colleagues. So if other officers know that they will be responsible for what their colleagues do if they are there and they do absolutely nothing, then I think it's um, that's the right mindset to have in the police force. All right, let's go to uh, Corey right now. Corey, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Hey, good morning. How you doing, Lisa? All right, how are you? I'm doing good, thank you. Um, I just wanted to call in and touch on a, a couple of key points here. Um, condolences to, to the families of every black man and every brown person that has been murdered by police or murdered by racist pigs. Um, unfortunately, <clears throat> like the last call, I said America is built on slavery. We, we live on a plantation and um, these big companies, <clears throat> excuse me, these big companies are making a lot of money off of the backs of black and brown people, and white people also. It's just, we forgot that we're a human race. Everything is always focused on, you know, color and religion. This world is really messed up, really, like everywhere. It's not just today. It's not just last year. It's for the entire like civilization, but like Corey, people Corey, just let me, let me, let me judge jump each in. other based on the wrong ideas. We're okay. all just human beings. We all bleed red blood. Like we're, we're just human beings just trying to live. And, and I'm I'm calling from a, a different standpoint because I I uh, supervise retail locations, luxury retail locations nationally. Okay. And the looting, the kind of destruction that you're seeing, it's it's crazy. I mean, like one of the callers mentioned, I don't think this is something that's happening 
you know, by the people that are protesting. The, the riots that are happening are definitely organized and staged. The kind of destruction that we're seeing is not, you know, the, the disenfranchised youth that don't have basketball courts to play on because because of COVID-19, because people can't go to the beach, because people can't go to the park. Well, there's some. There's there some. No, there's, I, I'd say society. there's a combo. Once it gets going, it seems to be it seems to be a combo. But you think it's organized. Let me just ask you this quickly, Corey, since yeah, you're, you're in, a, in a store management uh, point of view. So given that we're in a pandemic and a lot of businesses, probably your businesses, have been, even though the luxury goods have been hurt by this as well, what happens when the stores are damaged? Do they re- Are they going to be able to reopen in this economy? So, uh, again, we, we, we talk about big business. Um, it's insurance. You know, they're, they're, every, every business has liability insurance that is covering just any damages, any, any loss of product is being handled by an insurance claim. So these companies will make that money back hand over fist. Um, and, and, and it just rolls up, rolls up where you need. So you need to get a loan, you need to go to a bank and all that kind of cooperation that it stays in that cycle. There is going to be, oh, there are going to be a lot of empty storefronts throughout America because like you just mentioned, when the pandemic is over, people don't have money to go back and spend. Governor, the government gave us $1,200, you know, to, to fix this. That money is already gone for most people. I don't, I don't know how we recover from this but the wealthy people will i mean if you look at the world's billionaires and millionaires they're getting wealthier as we speak look at jeff bezos his his net worth grew exponentially during this there, there is money all right Corey, thank, thank you very much thank you very much for the call let's go to um let's go to cj right now cj hi you're on hot 97 go right ahead yes i'd like to first say that i commend for having this dialogue opening up and I'm hoping the younger generation will look and see what's going on. I really agree that this situation is being staged because as I took and look at what happened in New York, then I started looking at the Atlanta films. I started looking at the Minnesota films and I'm seeing items where they shouldn't be, where they wouldn't normally be because had they been there, the owners would have said, Hey, go clean those bricks up, go do this to make the storefront look good. So I really agree that this is being staged. And I saw that these people had, they were like they were ninjas walking around. And they were the ones that would ignite the younger crowd or they would see a person hyped up and they would pick that person to go by and then go grab a brick or something and throw it. This would agitate that person and say, yeah, yeah, I should do that. I do not think the looting is correct because, you have to shop at these same stores. There's a pandemic going on. There's less of everything. So if you destroy what you have, where were you going to get it from? No, exactly. And it's it just really... Especially in the neighborhoods, especially, especially in the communities. You know, especially yes, in the communities. I don't understand what they did in Atlanta. You, you go into the mall... And that's the same mall that I've been to Atlanta plenty of times. That's the same mall you go to a thousand times. Why would you destroy it? Destroying does not create anything. I think someone needs to rally the youth, rally these disenfranchised people and say, hey, hello, let's get these Republicans out. It's not going to protect us. Let's get the Democrats out. It's not going to protect us. If they're going to be elected by the people, they should sure will protect the people. Exactly. A lot of them are trying to find out what's the right political thing to do. There's no political thing. No, this is beyond beyond politics. 
CJ, I agree. This is beyond politics. This is what Dr. Manny said, that this is a humanitarian, this is a hu- human rights issue at this point, that people of color need to have the same human rights as whites. It's that simple. Correct. And if we had our house in, in place, then it would be hard for someone else to to break in and cause all this chaos, whether it's staged or not, right? So the, the key point was, if George Floyd was not killed, and if we didn't have all these murders um, you know, of right. young black people taking place, then there'll be no opportunity for people to stage uh, rocks uh, across places of the city. So I think it's very important for us to still come back and focus on what happened with George Floyd's life here. Exactly. And, and, and not be the, distracted. Correct. And, and that it was about many other cases. Right. And that it was also, and also building around that, is about the daily trauma that many black men in America face, no matter how successful they are, no matter how much money they have, no matter what kind of, you know, neighborhood they live in or whatever, simply because of the color of their skin. You go jogging, you get shot. Right. You go (laughs) jogging, you get shot. You're watching birds, you get get, treated as if you're, as, as, as if you're the aggressor when you're, you're watching freaking birds. Anyway, the, uh, overnight something happened. Um, that we want to bring your attention to because it's a developing story now, so I can't give you a lot of details, but we can certainly bring you up to speed on what happened. Anonymous issued a video, uh, posted a video online uh, talking about everything that is going on right now, which we're going to play for you in a moment, which Jack the Mac got into our system. But, Dr. Manny, Anonymous is this international group? Correct. So um, Anonymous is a decentralized international hacktivist group, right? So um, if, if you think of Anonymous, uh, they were very prominent during like Occupy Wall Street kind of movement. Uh, they came about. So if you heard about like government websites being hacked, um, you know, or getting some kind of uh, information that the government had that all the videos that were keeping private from wars and things like that, right? They kind of released it. Uh, it, it kind of came around the same era as you had, um, Julian Assange, um, with, with what he was doing with WikiLeaks, uh, kind of element here, right? So they've been very proactive and uh, every time there's, they see, uh, areas of injustice, they usually come in, uh, using technology to try to hack and expose, uh, information. All right. And what, and, uh, there's still, uh, there, there's reports that they have hacked into the Minneapolis Police Department. Uh, you know, whatever, all, all of their data, all of that, which we're going to, um, find out more about. I'm sure we'll be hearing about more, but we're going to play the, the video that they posted online so you can hear it. Officers who kill people and commit other crimes need to be held accountable just like the rest of us. Otherwise, they will believe that they have a license to do whatever they want. You will claim that this is just the work of a few bad apples, but what of the officers who stand by and do nothing while they commit offenses against the people they encounter? and the police departments like yours who refuse to prosecute these criminals as they would one of the citizens that they are sworn to protect. People have had enough of this corruption and violence from an organization that promises to keep them safe. After the events of the past few years, many people are now beginning to learn that you are not here to save us, but rather, you are here to oppress us and carry out the will of the criminal ruling class. You are here to keep order for the people in control, not to provide safety for the people who are being controlled. In fact, you are the very mechanism that elites use to continue their global system of oppression, and the world is finally starting to wake up to this, and they are becoming increasingly angry every time they see blood needlessly spilled without consequence. These officers must face criminal charges, and Officer Chauvin especially should face murder charges. Unfortunately, we do not trust your corrupt organization to carry out justice, so we will be exposing your many crimes to the world. We are Legion. Expect us. 
And that was the uh, the video that was posted on Anonymous, by Anonymous, the international hacktivist group. There's some reports this morning that they have already hacked into the uh, Minneapolis Police Department infrastructure and database and all of their uh, technology. Dr. Manny, how serious is this? It is pretty serious because, um, you, you know, when, when you have these hackers, um, you know, even today, I'll give an example. Like today, I, I saw um, a headline from Iranian newspaper, right? And in Iran, they had uh, a picture of uh, George Floyd, and they had people there supporting this. In Iran? In Iran, correct. And, and so, uh, you know, and you, you see probably Russia do the same, uh, everyone else, right? So you have enemies, and so this is chaos happening in the country. We have zero leadership, right? Instead of uh, us, of a leader coming in to bring us together, now we actually have more chaos happening, right, of, of picking and pointing fights and then saying loot and shoot and all these things happening. It's just organized chaos, right? And so so when you see things like this, people like, like you know, uh, from Anonymous, when you come in and then you see them hacking into a police, um, you know, department's website, in a normal situation, people will say, no, that's not good. Don't attack the government. But now in this point, people are pissed off. People are angry. And so people are siding with, with, with these other uh, players, right? And so I think it's very important. And what they're saying is, is correct. If people still feel like they don't get support from the government, they feel like people are not listening to them, eventually people become things become chaotic. It's just the way you just can avoid that. Exactly. All right. Uh, our phone lines are chaotic because we got they're, they're just uh, blown off the hook here. Let's go to Jimmy right now. Jimmy, hi. You're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Oh, yes. Uh, what can I say other than uh, greetings? Uh, Lisa, let's say uh, I've been listening to you for uh, a while, but, um, you know, I've been listening to uh, Hot 97 since back in the days, you know, uh, of uh, uh, Red Alert and, you know, breakdance, and it's great, great to get through. Thank you very much for being here. I'm so glad that um, your radio station is giving you this opportunity, this uh, platform, uh, to reach others. Well, thank you, Jimmy. Did you have a question or comment? Uh, well, yeah, I, um, I, I try my best to uh, self summarize it where um, I really do believe right now we are at this time um, at the Great Awakening where people are starting to think for themselves. You know, um, it's been very um, uh, it's been very important for our people to understand that propaganda has been part of our systems uh, since 1901, and it never stopped, you know. There's a lot of mental conditioning that needs to uh, be um, unconditioned, or uh, if I can say that. So, again, I, I thank you and Dr. Manny, I think his name was, uh, where yes, you guys Dr. are making Manny. sure everyone... Yes, you guys are making sure everyone understands that it is um, their own moral obligation to themselves and others, you know, to do what is right, you know, but we do live in a world where there's good and bad, there's up, there's down, there's life, there's death, but yet we're still supposed to make, you know, a sense of this. And, you know, I say this because, um, you know, I look at uh, what are the requirements to the American dream. You know, I, I came from South America, Guyana, uh, um, in 1977, landed in the Bronx and did my thing. I got cultured. I got educated, you know, learned how to break dance and what have you. But, you know, from that education, I wonder, you know, do I, what are my three options? Um, being an American or, as we say it, uh, being black and living in America, you know, am I supposed to say no evil, speak no evil, you know, uh, that three things? Or do I become a sheep and just follow? Or do I become, you know, uh, aware, uh, free, 
my eyes opened. And well, I'm it talking, sounds oh, like, it sounds like you're, Jimmy, I got to cut you off because we got to get some other calls in here. But I, I think you, you, you keep your eyes open and you, you pick and choose Pick and choose your, uh, you know, pick and choose the battles and keep moving forward. But thank you so much for the call. Thank you for the support of the show. And um, I'm mm-hmm. sure everyone here at Hot 97 is happy that there's so much appreciation that we're live and talking about this uh, right now. But, you know, we are we are also in the midst of this coronavirus pandemic, which is disproportionately affecting communities of color. We need to keep that in mind, too. That's not just going to uh, no one's going to wave a magic wand and all of a sudden Wow, the coronavirus is gone. It's it's still here with us. Let's go to Walter right now. Walter, hi, you're on Hot 97 with Lisa Evers and Dr. Manny. How are you? Good morning, Lisa. Good morning, doctor. Good morning. Um, my comment is, um, I don't want to say condolences to Floyd and everybody that has died of, of uh, COVID. And uh, I want to say that um, it's sad what happened to Floyd because he was asking for help. Right. Exactly. You know? That was the other heartbreaking that, thing. Correct. Oh. Yeah. It, that, that is sad. You know, it happens to people die all the time like this. It just happened to be caught on camera this time. And it's sad because he on camera, he's asking for help. And the people that are supposed to help him actually killed him. And it's sad, you know. Walter, and it is. We all, we all, when they ask me, I'm also from South America, but when they ask me where I'm from, I say I'm an Earthling, because we're all on this rock together. We're all on this rock together. We belong on this rock together. Yes, that's it. You yeah, know, that's like, it. it's a human. It's a human rights issue. That, Walter, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the call. We appreciate it. Let's go to Marilyn right now. Marilyn, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Hi, how are you? Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, despite Great. everything going I know, on. I know. What's your uh, question? I wanted comment? to. I wanted to thank you for giving a platform to those that wanted to speak out in a more measured tone because it's difficult. Oh, yeah. We have decades of rage and the feeling of having no voice at all. And I mentioned that um, I believe the media has a very powerful tool and needs to be more balanced in the images that they disseminate. There's a big difference between protesters and rioters. Nobody disputes that. Mm-hmm. But That's what Dr. Dan Porter said. Going around, yeah. There's an image going around now where an officer got separated from his colleagues. And black men banded together, arm in arm, and protected him from the angry mob. I'm not seeing that much coverage when it comes to that. That is there's it. also an image. There's also an image when an officer took off his helmet, appealed to the rioters, and wound up walking with them, showing solidarity. We all have to understand that this is something that we're in together. That narrative about a few bad apples is getting tired now. Yes, a few bad apples rotten, um, uh, rotten the entire barrel. So in addition to the solo officer's actions, the inaction 
of the other three officers that were present is just as powerful, if not more. Criminal. It's criminal. And so so heartbreaking. Yes. Mar- Marilyn, excellent points. And thank you so much for calling and thank you for supporting what we're trying to do here. All right, then. All right. Take care. All right. Let's go to uh, Mrs. Anonymous right now. Uh, she told Juliana, who's on the phones, she's the wife of a police officer. Are you there? Yeah, how you doing? Oh, okay. Oh, you're a police officer, or your wife is a police no, officer? No, no, my wife is a police officer. Okay. So when, All right. You know, when she comes home every day, she tells me. Okay, so what's you know your, what, what, what really goes on in in a precinct? Okay, so what's your uh, what's your take, or what is her take on this? Because I know she can't call in, but what's what's her, what's your take on this? I don't agree with everything that is too that's going on because when they do, I don't know if you know what a roll call is. When they do roll call, yes, um, is basically they you know before they go out they get a group together and then basically like lieutenant gives them a pep talk. But the other thing is that you know with everything that's going on, their thing is like okay, you do what you have to do to make sure you come back home to your family. So a lot of these police officers go out and they you know and their mentality is I have to come back home. And then now with everything going on with the protests, there's something that I don't agree on what, you know, what she tells me because she comes home every day and tells me what's going on. But their thing is to eliminate a threat. So if you go out and a police officer feels threatened, their thing is then they use the word eliminate. And they don't care about the repercussions, which is they don't care either way. You you know, you wear, you get an IA case, which is internal affairs. They don't care if they get an IA case. They don't care if they get lawsuits. They don't care, you know, none of that. Their thing is like, okay, let me just, my thing, their thing is like, okay, I have to come back home to my family, but my, I don't, I don't agree with it. That's why me and me and my wife really don't talk about what's really, you know, about her job because a lot of things that I don't agree with. But another thing is that she, you know, another thing that I come to find out right, but, about defensive, is, right? You can right, but come co- your coming back to your family, out, right? Doesn't I mean, mean go out and crack heads and and mow people down. Yeah, I want to go home to my family. I mean, yeah, but it doesn't they, mean I go around. That, that's one thing I don't. That thing, that's one thing I don't agree on. Like why I use those words, like because then now. When they leave to you know to these protests, they have that in the they have that as a mentality. Okay, like I have to come back to my family, and so let me eliminate. Right, but the, 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 the so job. If I feel threatened. Let me just. Exactly. Exactly. And um, but, that. But tell tell her if she wants to call if she wants to call in anonymously. We're we're happy we're happy to happy to hear her. Let's go to uh, David right now. David, hi. You're on Hot 97 with Lisa Evers and Dr. Manny. Go right ahead. Hey, good morning, Lisa. It is a pleasure to speak to you. I appreciate all your work. Thank you very much. What I wanted to do was make a rebuttal to a caller that had called earlier. He said something about if this type of thing had happened to Latinos, that they would would come and tear this country down and stuff like that. And I just thought it was... um, I was a little offended by it. And I I just felt like this, that... Listen... A little while ago, they were detaining, uh, uh, I think, Mexicans, the people who were trying to get across the border. They had them in detentions. A bunch of kids died. Um, yeah, and, and some, yeah, David, I'm so glad. I'm, I'm, that kind of slid past me, but I'm so glad you're, you're, you're raising that point. And we talk about the Latino population being persecuted and Latino population being criminalized and how, and how they're treated. That's uh, and kids separated from parents. And ki- kids separated right. from parents being kept in cages. Yeah. Uh, children here in yeah. New York, like, and we try, we try to get information about it, even as as news reporters. We can't even get numbers on it, let alone 
uh, find out. We did find one location that we went to to check out, but it's like the what, what's happened to the Latino population is. I, I, I'm I'm glad you're raising that point, but because it's they have been they have had they've had the knee on their neck in so many different ways for a very long time. Yeah, yeah. So so to, so to get get up there as a person of color to say something so divisive. Listen, the first slave got here what sixteen. 16 or 16, 19, right. we went through uh, the, the slavery and, and the Jim Crow and then the Civil Rights Act and, and, and everything else uh, for another person of color from another country to come here and, and, and make, a, make a statement like that was just uh, a little disheartening and stuff. So I just wanted to tell them Thank you. that uh, we are all in the same boat and uh, pointing the finger uh, does, does nothing for anybody. Correct. Exactly. And, and David, thank you so much. Correct. And I think it's one of those things where, you know, you're down and you want to say I'm lower than you, and which is irrelevant to the debate of going forward, right? right. Exactly. <laughs> so I think for the We're baseline, all in this together. Correct. If we look at this, uh, this is not a black, white, uh, Hispanic, white issue. It's a humanity issue, right. right? So let's respect each other and be equal. As human beings. As, as human beings. That's all we're asking for. Just let's all be friends and let's all work together and just respect each other. I think we'll just be fine. Exactly. All right, David, thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for raising that point and, and really clarifying that for us. I appreciate it. Let's go to, um, let's see here. Let's go to Anthony right now. Anthony, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. How you doing, Lisa? Right. I, I appreciate everything you guys say and keeping everybody informed. I, I, I have a job. I work Sunday. I listen to you guys on my way in. All right. But a couple things. One, you, you, uh, you, you do hit on a lot of points that are correct. The woman that called in before, she, you know, I, I liked her opinion. She had thought very clearly you know, le- real level-headed opinion, and she's right. There's a huge difference between the rioters and protesters. Well, that was and Dr. Protest- Darren Porcher's. Uh, that was Dr. Darren Porcher's point. The former NYPD lieutenant, who's uh, now a criminal justice professor, he said there is a difference between your First Amendment right to protest and rioting, and by- which is criminal behavior. Exactly. Exactly. And I, another thing, I just wanted to touch on real quickly. Is, well, back to what I was saying, with the protesters are the ones that were protecting that officer because they weren't there for violence. They were there to make, send a message, and they were sending the right message that we're not here to harm people. We're here to, you know, get justice for what happened. And besides that, though, the, the gentleman before said something about the Republicans not protecting their people. If you look where these riots are taking place, majority of them are ran by Democratic Party, the Democratic uh, uh, mayors, governors, and you wonder, you, you say it's Republicans not te- protecting their people, but it's the Democrats that are having these riots in their cities, and they're not doing anything about it. And then, you know, they, they let the looting go on. They tell the police officers, you know, just do what you can. They don't, you know, they're, they're kind of just, you know, sitting back and letting it all happen instead of taking charge and doing what they need to do. Okay, and, and that's that. That was Dr. Darren. That was Darren Porcher's point. Was that the strategies that they used successfully after the, uh, you know, when the protesters were out in the streets with Eric Garner? There were there were a couple minor incidents, but nothing anywhere close to what we've been seeing here in New York these last couple of nights. He said there, that strategy is obviously not in effect right now. 
Correct. I mean, it makes no sense, right? I mean, if you are mad at someone and the same person is in front of you trying to stop you, <laughs> right? I mean, you're, you're literally asking for conflict, right? So, so I think uh, the definitely better ways to handle this. We, we have to understand, um, you know, like with Dr. Jeff, when we had this conversation last time, people are already in high stress levels, right? There's Very mental health stress. issues already happening. Financial? Financial issues. You have over 40 million African-Americans out of work. I mean, other people that are not African-Americans are out of work as well, right? Um, Hispanics. So a lot of people are out of work, uh, unemployed, low wages, people dying within the community's highest murder rate and everything in that community uh, and people die from COVID-19 in that community at a particular time so people are stressed out and and so uh, I think there's a lot more that we need to do to engage people um, you know to, to respect what people think uh, of course uh, we believe in protests the right to protest but no riots that's not what we're asking for we're asking for uh, you know just for for better um, uh, things going forward. And humanity, equal, tra- e- equal, equal treatment. treatment. Correct. It's, it's that simple. Equal treatment. Do I have time, Jack, for one more quick quick call? Okay, we're, we're taking this up to the 9 o'clock hour. Um, let's see. Okay, let, let's go to uh, let's go to Pal right now. Hey, Pal, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Hey, Lisa. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. You got about Wonderful. a minute. <laughs> Thank oh, you for joining oh, us. Oh, okay. I'll make it really, really quick. Okay. I just want to know where are our community leaders? Where are they at this time? Where are the church leaders who love that pulpit? They love the mic. They love the audience. There are thousands of people marching in the streets around the country waiting for your guidance, waiting for you to lead. We cannot have these youths and people out here wandering aimlessly in these streets with the authorities. It's only going to get more volatile. We need you to stand up and lead us. We need you to be our Martin Luther King, our Malcolm X's. We can't be left out here by ourselves. We've tried that already, and you see where we are right now. We need a leader. Where are the community leaders? Amen. That's the perfect last call. Yeah. That, that's exactly the point. Where are they? Lack of leadership. They need to be on the streets. They need to be engaged with the youth. That's the thing. Absolutely. That's what We're I think. We're lost without leadership. And we definitely don't have it in the White House. We are absolutely lost. They need to stand up now. There it is. There it is. Pal, thank you so much for the call. Great, great way to end the show. Great way to end the thank show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so very much. Amen. All right. Amen. And uh, thank you to every, everybody, King Jessica, John, um, Shan, Navia, Barnes, everybody that's on the line. I am sorry we, we can't get to your calls because we're out of time for this uh, special live uh, two-hour episode of Street Soldiers. And um, please follow me for uh, at Lisa Evers on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, we'll be posting the show on lisaevers.com and also our Hot 97 platforms later on tonight once uh, DJ Michael Medium gets into the whole technical thing and switches everything over for us. I want to thank everybody here at Hot 97 for making this show possible um, and for giving us this opportunity to give a voice to the community. If you have a comment, please leave it on my Instagram page. If you have a, uh, a question you can or something more lengthy you can email us street soldiers at hot97.com i want to thank all of our guests today our public advocate jumani williams attorney philip hamilton um dr darren porcher former nypd lieutenant and attorney charles tucker would thank all of you and thank you to all the callers for listening in and uh for supporting us and if you want more of the show then go on the hot 97 instagram page and start leaving it in the comments how about that okay 
Um, that's that's how we're rolling right now. <laughs> Dr. Manny, thank you so much for being with us again. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And, and sharing your experiences and also your expertise. And uh, as Dr. Manny says, please remember, we are still in the middle of a pandemic. You need to take precautions. I'm Lisa Evers. Remember, use your mind. It's your best weapon. I hope it's your only weapon. Let's push for peace, love, and health.